0: What was it? What are we doing? Discussing the viva. Yeah. And the the life after the PhD.
1: Yeah, examiners, preparations, the exam, life after. Great. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Welcome to the Alternative Format podcast, hosted by Anuja Pradhan and...
1: Scott Jones.
0: This is a podcast where we discuss doing the PhD by alternative format... So let's talk a little bit about the Viva and the preparation for the Viva, selecting the supervisor, and then maybe, you know, even post-Viva publishing and all of that in this episode, Scott, what do you think?
1: Sounds good, great. So shall we kick off with talking about selecting the examiners for the Viva. So how did it work for you, Nudli? Can you remember the process of how the examiners were picked or selected or rejected?
0: I I can. And, the, and rejected <laughs> is, is actually the right way to start because I had um, a number of people that I thought about for this. Um, and one of them was the person who eventually ended up examining my PhD. But I had a couple of people and I was really excited. And, you know, for me as a student, of course, I was thinking about this based on the research that I'd read Right. So so who are these researchers whom I would like to have this discussion with sort of Um, and. I was quite enthusiastic about a couple of options, yeah. um, w- who were rejected. Oh, <laughs> let's just say by my supervisors, <laughs> they were like, "No, I don't think so." Okay. <laughs> I mean, we, we like your um, ambition, or well, not ambition. <laughs> we <laughs> like your creativity here, <laughs> yeah. but uh, but no, that's that's not what this Viva is about, right? Yeah. They they knew better as to whom would be most suited, um, but then the one that we went with. So it's Pauline McLaren from Royal Holloway University, Professor uh, Pauline McLaren. She ended up being the external examiner on my Viva and she was always one of the ones that I wanted right from the start because Pauline's work and Pauline herself has been really quite inspirational to me. She was actually one of the first... Um, feminist scholars whose work I read in consumer research, you know, so feminist consumer research. Yeah. I read her work first. So she'd always been inspirational from an early point in my PhD. Um, and then I was actually really um, very insistent that I wanted a woman on my panel, on okay. my PhD panel. That was really important to me. Um, and that's also why it worked out really well with Pauline to have. That um, presence there was really important to me because you know we know that in academia it's still pretty much at least in the global north, very white and quite male, um, especially at these top levels. When it comes to examiners professors and all of that so it was important for me to have a woman so it was nice that i got to have pauline my supervisor as well so really um keen on that and well you know thanks to pauline for agreeing so that's how it went yeah. for me how about you
1: yeah well my supervisors did so much groundwork um, to help get the get the um, explain the thesis to potential examiners i think that's an important point as well because it was alternative format Explaining, making sure examiners were amenable to this approach as well was important. And I had a list like you, year so there was a pool of people that I had thought about. And myself and James and Maria discussed the list and discussed candidates. And it evolved. We'd, we probably started talking maybe a year before I submitted um and eventually I had Dr Paul Hewitt at Strathclyde uh, University and he had some there's some tribal themes in my work and Paul had done some work around that and Paul was also really amenable to this approach and was really keen on this approach um so it worked out fantastic yeah and Paul uh, Paul came on the day and we did the viva it worked really well and the supervisors had explained they'd had, they had explained that the papers in my thesis had been uh, three of them had been published, so again, I think an expectation there was, it's you've got maybe a, a, a bit of a dilemma there. It might reassure some examiners how the work has been published, and therefore, but then some examiners might say, "Okay, so what? What are we going to talk about?" You know, but that wasn't certainly the case. Now, talk a little bit more about the vibe and what we did talk about.
0: I also think maybe we should talk about our internal examiner. Mm. So for me, that was. Um, Dr. Alex Scandalis from, um, Lancaster University, and it was really so brilliant to have Alex on the panel because he, at that point, was also an early career researcher, and he's a Bourgeois scholar, so he really knew the theory yeah. well, um, and he was great uh, to have this, you know, different perspective and, uh, a sort of perspective from somebody who's done their PhD within the last few years, of course, right? So, yeah. so he was also he was challenging, but he was also really supportive. I think through the Viva. How about you? Yeah,
1: I had the very experienced Professor Anthony Patterson at Lancaster University, and Anthony was absolutely fabulous. He he was um, he was very from the offset. He was so so supportive of the work, critical of the work as well as he should be. And again, um, Anthony was perfect for my work, very much in the consumer culture theory kind of domain, and that's where Anthony, some of his work sat as well. And he had the experience of supervising lots of of PhDs as well as he had come across the alternative format, so it worked really well.
0: So much like a lot of the other decisions we made for our PhDs, this was also a joint decision with our supervisors at the end of the day. Before we go ahead, let's clarify some terms, um, and some processes. So, in the UK, we say "viva," and um, here in Denmark, we call it "defense." Okay. In the UK, it is generally a private. Um, process so it's just you and your examiners and perhaps if you would like your supervisors present they can be there but they generally will not speak so it's you your examiners and a chair actually in one room whereas in Denmark and uh, many other Scandinavian countries the defense is open and it's public so anybody can join um, and, you know, both both ways of doing it have their own merits and their own challenges. But we, let's not go into that. Instead, let's talk about prepping, prepping for this Viva.
1: Okay, so I started, I think about, my Viva, I remember the date, it was November the 17th. And I think I started about a month before, maybe even a little bit longer than that. And I was I was nervous, even though I had some published articles in the... In the by alternative format in the thesis I was still very I was still nervous and I also wanted to be conscientious I won't lie there was a little bit of me that thought because a number of articles have been published it did provide some reassurances it did um, I received some feedback from multiple sources through the R&R revision and revised process so it allowed me to sort out some issues of the papers a little bit earlier on and I think when you perhaps got the articles that are peer-reviewed I think it does remove a little bit uncertainty um I still I tell you what I didn't find any use though is somebody gave me one of these books these generic books how to pass a PhD (laughs) viva and I was like I'm not sure this is going to work for the alternative format (laughs) I was very I kindly took the book but I don't think I ever looked at it how about you Anuja how was your prep
0: I mean for me it was a bit different right because um I'd had one published one paper published as a a book chapter um and the other two were unpublished so i didn't really go in with that confidence of you know these are published and these are peer-reviewed so in a sense it was a little bit similar to perhaps preparing for a viva for your monograph Mm -hmm. right um but i had two months between submission and the viva and i think i also started preparing around a month prior to the date um it's a really confusing and weird time because yeah. you're like well I just did all this research myself so you don't know what to prepare uh,
1: no how do you prepare I remember reading it multiple times I wrote some questions down uh, I thought oh could I be asked these and it reminded me of when I was studying for my A-levels at GCSEs I was kind of rereading familiarizing myself again with the topics I was also seeing what's being published in the interim or what's come out that might add to the conversation.
0: So I did all of this, But in addition, well, no, firstly, I did not reread my PhD a couple of times. I couldn't do it because I was like, oh, no, I'm just going to be more and more critical with every (laughs) reading. Let's not do this. Um, No, but what I also did was I spoke to somebody who had been previously examined by my external examiner. And that was really a fantastic conversation. Um, I'm going to say his name now. We can cut it out later if he doesn't want to be mentioned. But it was Killian. Killian. Um, O'Leary from Lancaster University, he'd had the same external so we had a conversation and he was so kind, he talked me through everything and sort of told me about his defense and what were the questions that he was asked Um, so I prepped for those and um, just in case Killian is listening, yeah. I passed this on. So I have now spoken to somebody else who, <laughs> who after me, had Pauline for you know his viva. So yeah. I've passed on the knowledge, let's just say.
1: Great. So it was really a, value, a kind of critical, valuable friend sharing their experiences.
0: Absolutely. So it goes back to that point we made in the previous episode about networking and how important that is.
1: And I also, I remember about a week, maybe 10 days before my actual Viva, I had a mock Viva as well with Maria and James and um, Maria, I hope you don't mind me sharing this story. I think Maria laughed when I turned up in a suit on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, why are you wearing a suit, Scott? Have you been, have you been at the bank? <laughs> and I was like, I just want to cosplay this uh, Viva. Um and it, it went, it was tricky, it was difficult, but I also gave, it was rightly, I just, as the viva was, but it did give me confidence to um, for the week later, I think it was 10 days a week later, but the mock viva was really important to me.
0: Uh, th- that's great. Um, my supervisors gave me the option of having a mock viva, and I I didn't take it, actually. Um, and it's not because I was arrogant or anything like that, it's just that... Uh, you, didn't,
1: you didn't have a suit. I did <laughs> yes exactly.
0: I didn't have a suit ready, so that's why I was like, "I'm sorry, I I can't do this." Um, no, I'm I'm trying to think back about why I didn't take it. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah. I was just like, I, I don't think that I want this um, because there was some anxiety around it anyway. The whole yeah. process. So I was like, "Will a mock waiver?" ease my anxiety or will it just you know add to it and I thought I, I couldn't land on an answer and then I was like I don't want to take the risk
1: <laughs> of yeah. doing
0: this so let's let's just go right into the deep end you know Let, let's do it let's just uh, do I, the viva.
1: I was very nervous I was very anxious I mean some people say and, and again it doesn't help does it but I remember people that week had said to me I bumped into oh you did it the via the the alternative format you'll be okay but I, you know that didn't give me I still felt very nervous and very anxious
0: yeah me too absolutely i was quite anxious uh before i went into the room but then once i was in the room i think and there's something about seeing the people right and they yeah. and they go from abstract to real people and then you just Come down a little bit and then i think what really calmed me down was once i started the presentation yeah. and as soon as the title came up and my presentation came up and i was like oh wait I've, I've done this before it's fine it's going to be it's going to be fine i know what i've done and i can talk about what i've done so it's okay
1: yeah. No, I think you're right. I remember I, um, I started off by telling a story because I thought, look, my PhD is sort of stories, people watching TV. I've done a short story, so I told a story that was very pertinent to the, and it did relax me. And I thought, that's my style. I have to imprint my own style on this a little bit. Um, so that was the actual Viva, to the air, so that was the first few moments of the Viva. So how did it develop? How did the Viva progress, then, the? New-
0: so for me um after the presentation we started talking um paper by paper actually yeah. um and then at some point we were kind of jumping between uh papers as well but we did start sort of with you know okay let's talk about the first paper and then the second paper um that's how i remember it as yeah. as. how about you
1: Yeah, absolutely the same. It was quite systematic in that I think we went through chapters, you know, almost uh, systematically. And it's an interesting point to know that even though the papers had been peer reviewed and published, a number of the papers in the thesis, I was still questioned on those papers. I was still scrutinised, I was asked to give justific- justification for why I'd done certain things. How has that theory been developed? Because one of the papers, let's say, was published in 2018, where we were sat in 2021, I think, at the time. So what's happened since then? How has it been developed? How has theory moved on? So yeah, I was very much um, scrutinised and you know, robustly asked about the, the articles themselves. Did your uh, examiners touch upon the methodology chapter that we've talked about that you did in the...
0: Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. They did, actually. And I got a very interesting question um, regarding my methodology, which is that they wanted to know more about me as a researcher. So they felt that I hadn't included enough um, about, you know, my own reflexivity as a researcher, even though I, I thought that there was enough in there. But maybe because, again, I'd gotten into that style almost of writing, you know, for the articles. So, so even though I thought that I'd put in quite a bit of detail about my my positioning as a researcher they thought that they would have liked to know more really um so that was a great question also because i could you know then have that time to discuss it with them how about you
1: yeah absolutely i think and i was thinking about this that with a monograph with the traditional format you've perhaps got opportunities you know in those last few weeks to go back and smooth things out perhaps but with my published articles there in concrete if you like I can't really m- do much about changing them and it was really important in the river for me to tell the twists and the turns and the journey of that uh, of that and be transparent about slight discrepancies that were perhaps there in the linear, you know in the linear kind of wraparound as well and being honest and transparent about those discrepancies was really important as well but yeah it was really a kind I say kind but an opportunity to let's hear your journey, let's hear your difficulties, and I narrated that somewhat through the thesis, through those reflective pieces. And Paul and Anthony were very keen to kind of probe okay, so what, why did you make that decision? How did you feel about making that decision? Was that the right decision to make? And wanting to clearly know as well, we talked earlier in an earlier podcast about this contribution statement as well, but. There was some discussion okay, let's. It's about showing that you have ownership of this thesis as well. That it is your work. I don't know if you've had some discussions around that, Anuja, or discussions around the reflections, maybe.
0: Yeah. So we actually did not discuss the um, contributions. Actually, or sort of, you know, who did what or how much, um, but. I also had a good discussion around the methods and the choices that I had made along the way or you know what I couldn't do right yeah. so on a previous episode I kind of spoke about how my initial strategy was to go and find these Daughters, um, British Indian daughters, and I thought that I would then speak to their mothers yeah. um, because that's what I wanted—an in intergenerational study. But then it turned out that the daughters didn't want me to talk to their mothers after they'd been very candid in their wow. interviews. You know, yeah. <laughs> there's all these cultural dynamics that uh, I don't know why I hadn't thought about. So, so then the it kind of changed. The process of data collection changed. The kind of data that I collected changed as well. Um, And it was nice to be able to get a chance to discuss all this um, during the VIVA. But I think that also is a credit to the examiner's skill, right? Knowing sort of that this is a lot of work that has been done. A lot of thought has gone into making these decisions. But perhaps the student has not been able to um, put all of it down on paper due to the format. So let's give them an opportunity to discuss i want to touch upon a point um about handling the questions right Yeah. so i don't know if again i want to credit killian with this because i think he said this or now i've paraphrased it but he said something that i always keep in mind and i tell my students which is um defend but don't get defensive
1: yeah i I think james over here said something similar to me my supervisor's
0: And I think that's really important for students to remember, which is that you should defend your points. You know, you you've done this work, so you should absolutely defend um, the choices that you've made. However, don't get defensive. You must remember that these are your peers, and they're experts, and perhaps they're seeing things from a slightly different perspective.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I remember being questioned around some choices around tribes or lack of inclusion of tribes. or And I remember, that I, I think the question was, where's the tribal aspects of your work? And I really, I was really excited to explain it and defend it and say, well, actually, it's got an epistemological community in the work in this paper. And I remember almost wanting to punch the air, because I was so pleased that I'd managed to defend the point articulately without offending the examiner and saying, well, it is here, you know. So I think diplomacy skills are quite important as well in the Viva.
0: Absolutely. Did you have any questions that you can think of that were particularly challenging, Scott?
1: I got some questions around why... I would had chosen to do it this way which weren't necessarily challenged but I think it was an interesting approach. I also got a lot of questions about how I'd chosen the journals I'd chosen for publication, giving justified reasons and also how I handled the, re- the revise and resubmit process um, and there were some some challenges around that and about the linear, the the, the linearity between the, the 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 chapters, making sure that that story was consistent across three, and there were some challenges around that as well, um, which I was able to defend and explain. What about yourself, Anuja Any tricky uh, gotcha questions? For
0: you? <laughs> gotcha questions? No gotcha questions, no, but some tricky, um,
1: perhaps over robust.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, but I also got asked about sort of why did you make this choice, yeah. and I and I explained it, and I think that they were happy to have that discussion about, you know, why did you choose this format, right? Yeah. Um, but the one question that I remember that was quite challenging was when one of the examiners asked me to take a, a concept that I'd used in one paper and apply it to another paper, you know? And I was like, okay, so if we take this concept and apply it to this paper, then how does okay. the data look different or how do, do your findings look different? And for a second, I was really stumped. And I was like, ooh, (laughs) Um, because I didn't think that you would take theory from one and apply it to the other, of course, but of course you can't, right? Um, But but I could answer it, and I think uh, they were satisfied with the answer. But I thought that was an interesting and challenging question, but I also enjoyed that question a lot because on the spot, it got me to do this sort of analysis, which was really fun, actually.
1: Yeah, and I recall we spent a lot of time looking at the limitations of the study as well and exploring them and so if you were to rerun this again this uh, you know this whole kind of journey this data collection what would you do differently and it was really nice to then discuss the limitations and the future implications of the research as well.
0: Yeah we, we did a little bit of that as well sort of well we talked about where else this uh, story could go yeah. right so what could you do in the future yeah. to you know add to the story um, but my examiners were also really fantastic and they kind of highlighted some contributions that they thought the thesis made that i actually hadn't even included so they yeah. were really nice and they were like you know they highlighted these things and they said that you could perhaps include this um in your papers when you submit the ones that haven't been submitted so that was really a great conversation.
1: We also did talk a little bit about uh, Ozark and what we were binging. <laughs> um, so that was quite fun as well.
0: Oh, that's hilarious. We spoke about um, how we dislike the Tory party. <laughs> so there Always we go. Yeah. good, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, one of the aspects that I really enjoyed, uh, Anuja, was they're asking me, what what's next? You know, What are your future career aspirations? What would you like to do next? Where do you see your work developing, going? Did you face, or did you have the opportunity to discuss that?
0: We did not really talk too much about um, where the work would develop, but we did spend some time discussing perhaps some other um, journals to consider, you know, because we spoke yeah. about how there was so much data and there were some stories that couldn't be told. So we spent a little time talking about where these other stories might be told, perhaps.
1: Okay, yeah. Yeah, I think um, I did publications in the thesis and I remember Anthony saying so you know what are your future plans in terms of maybe universities or your career trajectory where do you see yourself going it was very positive it was really really supportive as well about the research going forward so yeah I really enjoyed that time and often then I think you hear, don't you, a lot the that vibe? A lot of pre talk before it was, oh, it's horrendous, it's torture, oh, it's horrible. I genuinely found it a really enjoyable experience. And I was proud to be able to defend my work and I enjoyed the rigour and the challenge of doing that. I don't know if you felt the same, Anuja, but I found it an enjoyable experience.
0: I really enjoyed it. I had a great time. I would recommend a Viva. (laughs) I was like, this is great. Everybody should try it. No, no, I think I was really lucky that um, I could have this space to discuss my research and that my examiners made this a space where they were, Challenging and yet really interested in in helping me develop as an academic, right? That's how, but that's the responsibility they thought they had, which yeah. was how do we help the student develop as an academic through this process? Um, so it was really great. <laughs> I would like to mention that I know a a few colleagues who have had challenging vivas and perhaps not the same experience and um, who have done it through the alternative format. So I know somebody who has done their... PhD in marketing through the alternative format Um, but they had a challenging defense because one of their examiners was a sociologist and you know in sociology they really prefer the monograph right Um, so they had really really philosophical discussions and it really came down to testing almost to see whether um, this person is a very thorough researcher. Mm. Um, so so it became a, a test yeah. f- for a certain part of the vaiva rather than a discussion. Yeah. Right. So and I think that that's something that students should be aware of and that's when you should take your supervisor's advice on who's going to be on your panel and who's going to yeah, examine your, Bible, uh, your PhD.
1: And I think it comes with a word of caution doesn't it? The PhD by alternative format you know it comes with it by no means does it make it viver easier or make you it ma- makes it certain you'll get a PhD and I wondered I was reflecting on this this morning I wondered about the idea that I decided and I didn't have to but I went down the route of Publishing some of the papers, and I wonder what would have happened if one of the papers had got rejected, for example. What would I have done there? Where would the where would the where, where would the PhD have sat? What decisions would they have made? Could it have sat in the in the in the, the thesis? So I think there's some interesting points around that. Perhaps people may be thinking about doing that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a great thought. I don't know. That sounds really challenging. I don't know how that would go, um, but we also kind of spoke about you know what happens if you start down this route but something comes along and you're you know you have to twist back to the monograph and you've started the writing already Um, but I think these are all challenges that we face throughout the phd right like the phd is such a challenging journey and you have to be adaptable and the problem is that life gets in the way life forgets that you're doing a phd you know it needs to pause (laughs) but it gets in the way and then you have to change um but yeah i think these are questions that we can't answer but just some things that we've been thinking about of course
1: yeah i think so so just thinking about your overall thoughts about the phd about alternative format any advice any suggestions any ideas for anybody listening that might be thinking should i take this route is this right for me
0: yeah listen to the other episodes (laughs) (laughs) make up your mind no
1: (laughs) I, i think we both probably said that it was the best fit for me um yes you know it But it's about what best suits the candidates, I would say. Think about professional circumstances, personal circumstances. And, you know, I think Anidu and I have said we're very fortunate and lucky to have supportive supervisory teams. And we're aware that that isn't the picture across every institution. But we were in the fortunate position of that, I feel.
0: Yeah, and um, we are still working with our supervisors, right? So maybe we can talk a little bit now about the post-PhD process of um, publication and working with your supervisors so Scott for you I think so did you finish um, sort of was everything in the pipeline already or was everything already under review or published
1: yeah so we had one Thanks, a great question we had one paper in the uh, I had one paper in the PhD by alternative format in the thesis that was under review at the time and I can't recall I think it was either under yeah it was revising, resubmit so we we're waiting on that and that made it quite an interesting one to talk about in the Viva actually because it hadn't been published so that was under review and thankfully fortunately six months later that was that was published and then since then um, I took a holiday <laughs> I had a bit <laughs> of a break and then I was quite eager to, keen to there'd be another uh, th- this is another point is by doing it by by alternative format and by publishing the articles, I'd used a lot of the data, so I didn't have a data set to fall back on. Because often on the monograph, you'll then go back into your PhD thesis and perhaps publish. And because I'd used the data up, so but I'd ha- out of the, one of the the articles in the um, thesis was this short story by looking at soli- solitude and solitary consumption, and that's something me, Marie, and James are working on at the moment. Well, about yourself and you, how have you found the uh, post PhD life?
0: So, for me, um, as I said earlier, so one was already published, and then um, immediately after the PhD, I started working on the second one, and we submitted it pretty soon, actually, after I finished my PhD. But then I also finished my PhD pretty much at the same time that COVID became a thing. And then that also derailed everything, really. So this um, other paper that we submitted came back from reviewers, and it was a major revision. And then um, it kind of just not disappeared it fell into the background because COVID really just took over my life COVID starting a new job you know being um, an assistant professor for the first time lecturing for the first time and getting used to this new job just took so much of my time that that paper um, just lay in the background for so long that only a couple of uh, months ago actually did we Get back to it, and in the meanwhile, I started also working on other projects with other colleagues. But I am still working, so I'm still working on that second one with my supervisors, and now the third one as well with them. Um, and I really like that because I enjoyed working with them, um, during the PhD, and it's just nice to have their presence really still in my life after.
1: Yeah, totally the same, and equally, I've now extended through this conference and extending our networks, working with other people, I also got a new job, which I was excited about. So I was working with wonderful colleagues at Sheffield Hallam University, a, a place I loved, i worked there for about eight years, An opportunity came to go to work at the University of Birmingham. And no doubt the PhD and the publications, you know, helped as well. Um, and I wanted to do have a bit more of a research focus. So yeah, I'm pretty thankful for this PhD.
0: Yeah, congratulations on the yeah. new job, Scott. You know, it sounds like you're at a great place now. Um, I hope that the listeners get from this that, you know, t- doesn't mean it doesn't mean that if you're doing it by this alternative format, you have this relationship with your supervisors for a shorter time and then you're done, right? Yeah. Again, everybody has a different experience. And, you know, sometimes people who do it by the monograph, they will publish with their supervisors from that data set for many years afterwards. And it could be the same for you because... You, you know, all the papers don't need to be published, right? They need to be publishable Publishable. so you can maintain that relationship um, going forward, start new projects, whatever you would like, yeah.
1: Okay, so I think that's a wrap now, Anuja. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. I hope it's useful as well and maybe helps you make some decisions about what's right for you and what direction you'd like to take with your PhD. And we thank you for listening.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Um, and this is the last episode that we're recording. It might not be the last episode that you listen to, of course, but I want to say thank you to our fantastic producer and editor karsten prince don't cut this out of the podcast yeah
1: definitely <laughs> but don't cut this out
0: yeah thank you so much for your um you know guidance and your amazing editing magic and um everything and thank you scott as well for flying down here you know and coming to see us it's been a great trip um so okay with that i think we're good to go happy writing
1: happy writing